Jason Alma. <laughs> so at this time I'd like to again thank you all for uh, coming and we're going to turn the show over to Lego and um, we also do want to let you know that after listening to the introduction for some of us um, that anyone within the Lego group will be able to answer your questions so please start uh, thinking of if you haven't already what your questions are um, thanks Good morning. My name is John V. I'm extremely pleased to be here. Uh, we actually have an hour and a half, and uh, that normally means nobody gets to pose any questions when I talk. <laughs> So I, uh, I promised my colleague this is going to be uh, slightly shorter, uh, but it is my favorite topic we're going to speak about. Um, how is the company doing? What is our philosophy? What, what is our view of the world? What is our view of Lego? Where are we going? And um, I, I will say about that, that uh, often when I have such an opportunity, people come back and say, you know, how do you get to think about all those things? Where did you learn all that stuff about Lego? And, and the, the answer is, I, I didn't, you know, but people ask me a lot of questions all the time and I learn a lot from that. So I'll tell you, we are here to have a dialogue with you. And we're very keen to hear your questions. We may not be able to answer all of them, but uh, this is where at least I'm happy to say that I'm flanked by uh, quite a few number of, of uh, Lego people here, uh, including Kel, and uh, we'll be happy to try to answer any question and learn from that. Um, most of you will be following Lego closely and you'll be aware that uh, we are going through a survival plan, pretty serious survival plan. I'll talk to you a little bit about that. I'll talk to you about how we plan to revitalize the company and the product and the direction in that. And I'll, I'll do that by, uh, I guess speaking from, I thought I'd speak from three uh, headlines or chapters if you like and the first one is, is one that I'm sure you would also like to engage on is what is really the essence of Lego? What is at the core of it? What is it all about? And I'll try to share a few headlines about that and then I'll talk a little bit about um, how do we view the future? What's going to happen in the future? What is our role in it? I'm sure you're going to have some views on that as well uh, and then finally, I'm going to talk about the journey that we are on as a company. What should you expect to see from the company? And how, how do we feel about that journey? What's going to happen through that journey? So those are the sort of three quick chapters, if you like, and we'll spend, I don't know, five, seven minutes on each of them. So there should be lots of room for questions in between or, or afterwards. And I hope it covers what you were hoping to hear something about from the company as well. Otherwise, do let me know. So, 
what do you think the essence of Lego is? What is it all about? Well, when we think about that, we are of course aware that there is a destiny to a company that has been in existence for seven, more than 70 years. There's something about you cannot run away from your destiny. There's something about you mean some, something specific to a lot of people. It's not even in our hands. You know, we can spend time on that in the leadership or among employees in the company and we can come up with whatever we want, but if it doesn't really ring true with the, the global audience that feel a belonging to Lego, it's not something we can decide. And one of the things we've noted, of course, is that the word Lego has become almost a generic term to a lot of people. It does mean plastic interlocking bricks. You know, people talk about Lego bricks even when they aren't. That's why it's so easy to copy us in some cases. People still think it's Lego. So we are, we are really a, a generic term, and therefore we feel at the very core one of the really unique assets of this company, what makes this, sets this company apart, is that brick. And it's not only the brick, it's the fact that the brick sits in a system where, for the most part, and I learned a new word this morning from the space guys, not, which I think means something about <laughs> no starts on top, but normally everything fits together. And when everything fits together, it does become like software, it does become like a language, it does become like a system where all the pieces fit together. And that has the quality that everything ties together and you can build endlessly on it. And we do believe, honestly, at heart, that nobody has provided that type of thing to the world in that type of material that we're talking about. And therefore, to us, the brick and the brick system, or systems, if you like, if you talk across platforms, is absolutely fundamental to what this company is all about. And we cannot run away from that, and we have no intention of running away from it. That also means if you think about what can you call legal, we've tried over the last 10, 15 years, if you like, the, the, I think the management word is brand stretching. So putting the Lego brand onto other things. In certain geographies, we even went into stereo sets and bikes and so on. Um, I don't know how well they worked. But uh, we strongly feel that the future of Lego as a company and as a brand is to stay extremely honest and true to what we're all about. And you, that I think the management term of that would be rather than stretching under a number of different things, we want to go deeper and deeper into what we're all about, and that means the bricks and the system. So that's where we see the future line for this company. What it also means is that if you're a very theoretical guy, and I know a lot of the guys who play with Lego are highly intelligent and theoretical people, you know that once you're on a system, it becomes a bit like having a cell phone. You know, you're either on one cell phone system or you're on another cell phone system. And if you're not on the system, your cell phone will have no use. So the more people who utilize the same system, the same platform as you, the more fun it gets. You know, there's no fun in having a cell phone, you can't speak to anybody. But if you're on a system that everybody else is on, you can suddenly start working together. You can suddenly start connecting. You can form networks. The quality of networks is more is more. The more people on the network, the more valuable it is. The phone companies, of course, learned that a long time ago, IT companies and so on. 
you have the ultimate example within software and that with the Windows platform. Nobody can really break the code of getting onto that system. Well, when we think about Lego, we believe Lego is the platform for the type of play that we are we're all about. And that means to us the system of users, the community, becomes the third element when we think about what is really core about Lego. It's the brick, it's the system, and it's the fact that communities form around it. You're part of that community, of course, that's why you're here. And I think even Kel, who's you know, grown up with the company and been a Lego builder his entire life, is amazed to see you people here. For me, who's so much younger, I'm completely overwhelmed. What you are to us is that you're almost like, if we were to gauge the temperature of how strong is the system effect of Lego, how strong is the community effect, you are the temperature of that core of that community. Because we believe the community of Lego users is not only those who are at the breakfast, it's not only those who use the lockmat, it's not even only those people who signed up, there are people in the first. Lego League is another community, the Lego Club, with a lot of kids in it. But the real Lego community is a lot of unregistered users who are further out, if you like, in concentric circles around people like you who are at the very core of that community. We believe the Lego users is a global community. We don't know how many people are in there. We know we have registered at least a couple of, of million people in there, our households. But there's probably twice, five, ten times as many people who actually feel they are a member of the Lego community because when they buy something to be creative with or play with, they would rather continue on the platform they're on. They would rather do more and more Lego rather than starting using some other toys. And that's why to us, as a company, community is incredibly important. The moment the community starts falling apart, we know the temperature within the core of our company is falling and that means our performance as a company is going down. So we community, the community is not working, if it's falling apart, to us that's a signal that the core of what we are all about is starting to fall apart. And that's why we are extremely honored and pleased to be able to be a part of this event. Thank you. Finally, I think we've learned over those years also that this brand has come to mean a lot of things to a lot of people. We get letters from people from as far away places as Nicaragua, Afghanistan, all parts of Asia, and of course the rest of the world, where this brand has meant a lot to them. And we've asked ourselves, why is this the case? And we hope and believe that it has got nothing whatsoever to do with TV advertising. And I think we know it doesn't because we've never spent that much on it. We, <laughs> we, we believe that the reason why this brand has such immense emotional appeal is because of the experience of building with the bricks. We believe it's a brand that's built through the substance, it's built through the community, what it does for people, what it does for families, what it does for people when they're together around Lego and what it does for the individuals that are building. And that to us also again means that we have an important heritage here. 
because we are building on that experience, that emotional appeal. And we ask people, what, what is it? And they say, you know, it just it allows me to be creative and imagine things, to use my fantasy. That's what it does. And it's amazing that that is so emotionally appealing to most people. And it is so gratifying and satisfying an experience. And that's, of course, then something we want to strongly guard and nurture because we know that's, that's how this company became what it is today. So, so that, that brand, the trust, the quality in the product, the responsibility we feel we have to our community of users, whether it's a registered community or not, is the final and fourth element when we think about what's really unique about this company. So the brick, the system, the community of users, and our brand heritage, our brand name. Those are the four most important things to us when we think about the company. So what is the, what's the journey that we're going to take this company on to, to survive? <coughs> and make this company thrive and make it vital again. It is to build on that core. We want to see more community. We want to see more bricks in the system. We want to see more trust in the brand, continue to build on that quality that's behind the brand. So we would not go away from the current levels of trust and quality and responsibility that's behind this company. And we want to see that more is more. We want to do more of what we've done in the past. We don't want to stray apart from what we mean to most people but continue building on that. It's extremely important to us, and why is it important to be so clear about identity? Well, it's important because as a company, we've done, gone through a very deep financial crisis. When you go through crisis, you start asking philosophical questions. What are you all about? Is it the right thing? Am I good enough? Should I try something else? Does the brick have a future? When we look at the future trends, and I promised you to talk a little bit how we view the future. What we hear about the future is that kids want more violent play. We learn that they measure anything they do up against time spent on video gaming. You know, it's video gaming versus watching TV or DVDs, video gaming versus, versus various kinds of play, also against our type of play. And then teach you when you listen to those trends, when you listen to that kids have less free time to play, when you listen to the focus in some schools on the three R's, the reading, the writing, the arithmetic, rather than the creative skills, it's easy for us to say, let's go down that route of the mainstream. But we listen to these trends, and we're of course concerned about these future trends, but the direction we're going to take is not always to go straight against the trend, but we are going to go across the trends because we believe we are not for everybody. We're not a toy for all types of people. We're not a toy for all types of education and learning. We're about the legal way of learning and developing. We're about the legal way of playing and being creative. So we will not, we will listen to those trends and we'll of course try to navigate and you see some of the examples of that of course. But we will stay true to what we are all about and go up sometimes against the headwinds because we believe in being what we truly are, rather than trying to become what everybody else wants us to be. When all that is said and done, as I said, it's extremely important to be clear about 
it's important for us to be clear about because we actually gone through a pretty tough phase of financial restructuring, managing our cash flow, making sure we had money in the bank rather than owing more to the banks. We've sold off a huge number of assets. We've recently completed what we believe is a great partnership with a private equity group around our four parks, which means that uh, Kel and his family and the company will own 30% of a combined entity that in the future will operate the parks along with other uh, family entertainment and attractions that deal with uh, children and children's development. But this has been painful to us. We've not been used to this kind of thing. We've cut more than 25% of our cost. We did the 20% of that in nine months. <coughs> I can assure you that that is uh, not a, a pleasant uh, experience for any manager. Uh, we've written off uh, assets and so on. So. And we're still struggling uh, somewhat with restoring the profitability of the company, which is, of course, crucial to the long-term survival of the company. So it's been important for us to be clear about the direction as we go through that. Um, what we have ahead of us will be further major changes. We want to find a way to work in a marketplace that's become very difficult. If you look at the major toy companies, they're all struggling. They're all struggling. You know, Mattel is growing, but Mattel is growing because the dollar is falling. They stay amid that themselves. Being the strongest player in the industry, did they not have a declining dollar versus other international currencies, they would be in a decline as a whole. You look to Hasbro, it's the same story. They're clearly telling the market, we don't see any growth, we don't see any way of surviving in this industry. That's also why we're saying, we're not going to be like what they're trying to do, which is to find the key trends and then thrive on them, because we don't believe we can thrive on those key trends in the market. But it also tells you that it is a tough industry. You know that the places you can buy toys here in North America are quickly disappearing. You've seen FAO go down. You've seen Toys R Us in trouble. You've seen St. Brainy go away. You've seen KB closing a number of stores. All of this, of course, to us is bad news. And therefore, we need to restructure the way we go to the market, and that's going to impact how we organize ourselves. That's going to impact a lot of labor people. And we'll be thinking about ways that we can sell directly to consumers, as we already do through our own stores, through our web, through our shop at home catalog, and so on. All of these are difficult and important adjustments in each of the markets around the world. But that's only, let's say, the sales and marketing piece of it. Then there's the whole, how do you produce, manufacture, and a global setup, and I think I understood it part of at least the presidential election in, in, in the U.S. the last time was also about globalization. I can definitely tell you most of the elections in, in Europe are all about globalization. I think we've seen it coming for a long time, but now everybody are talking about China. Everybody's talking about the impact of technology. When we produced boxes and box designs, we used to do that in Bilon in Denmark or some nearby place. The way it works today is that Sometimes a designer will, will do the drawing on a box like this in China, Indonesia, and you think, wow, that sounds awfully difficult. No, not with today's technologies. Phone, email, not a problem. The cost affects a 10 or 20 below what is possible for doing it in Europe or North America. So that's impacting our entire way of working, and we will no longer be, you know, one company integrated as one. We'll be working across the globe. We need to access the cheaper sourcing. We need to utilize new technologies. And that's going to impact the way of life and working with you in the legal group. 
Of course, that's not your concern, but it means major changes to the legal group set up. Already with the parks leaving uh, the group, there will be 3,000 less employees. You can say formally in the group, they are of course still all in the legal and parks. And we foresee that we will change our setup, and we've spoken quite bluntly and directly with our employees about it. It's our policy to be socially responsible and very honest and direct with our employees. So we tell them the way the, way the land lays and what the future challenges are, and then inform them way ahead so they can discuss uh, the decisions we make in management and, and discuss how we implement it. And, and you know, sometimes they do change the way we work. We went through a productivity improvement in our factories recently and within three months our employees actually generated 1,422 ideas of how we could improve the productivity. So we're trying to at least live up to uh, being creative and imaginative even within the company. <coughs> the final area of changes is one that I'd say is, is uh, perhaps less tractable, meaning that the answer is very difficult to get to, but certainly extremely exciting, and that is this one of talking to the people in innovation, of which some of them are here today, and saying, no, you cannot start producing bikes. No, you will not do MP3 players. No, you will not move into consumer electronics or travel or any sort of new industry. You will be doing bricks. But, but you still need to be innovative. And that's where, when, when Kill and I reflect on it with the board of directors and the legal group, is that we're actually saying, you know, Christ, all the stuff we've done the last 18 months has actually been the easy stuff. You know? Finding out that you need to close a plant and move the jobs, it's tough, but it's a tractable problem. It's easy because you know what the solution is, you can calculate it on your computer. But where is new demand going to come from? What are we going to invent? You know, a little bit philosophical about that challenge, it is the deepest and biggest challenge for this company. Because everybody that looks at the company will say, well, you know, aren't you done? You've done Town, you've done Pirate, you've done now you've done Vikings again, or you've done Vikings for the first time, you've done Western again, you've done Trains and so on. Where's it all going to come from? Where's it all going to come from? And that's when you realize you've only just started working. <laughs> And this is to be the end of my part of this Q&A session because I challenge you, I question you, where's it going to come from? And we'd like to work with you because you are the prime users of our brand and product. <coughs> we would love to challenge you to say, how can you inspire us? We hope that not us, but the brand, the product has inspired you through a long period of time and we'd love to be inspired back. We'd love to have that dialogue. And we think that innovation that we're seeking is going to come from a dialogue with the legal community. That's the way we're going to find it, by learning more about who is it that's really into legal, who is it that's really buying legal, who is it that really loves legal, how do they use it, how do they play with it, what is it they're getting from it. That's the way we're going to find new ways of innovation, where you're going to be looking at it and you'll say, this is brand new and yet completely true to what I feel Lego is all about. That's the biggest challenge facing us. Thank you.
thriving incredibly with the Belleville line in the Scandinavian countries. And the only answer I can give to that is that those are, of course, the countries in the world where the legal brand is the most penetrated. So I think what happens there is that the parents go, well, I love Lego, but I have a girl. <laughs> and so Belleville to us, in some cases like Denmark, is actually the single biggest selling line. Because of course there are so many boys' lines, so they spread out. But there's only one thing you can really buy for the girls of, you know, let's say classic Lego construction outside clickets. Uh, and that's, that's Belleville. And that's what we're going to be continuing to do. We'll not try to do dolls. Uh, we'll not try to do more arts and craft. We'll try to appeal to the girls through a system-like uh, platform. And then, of course, the Duplo platform, which we know is uh, to some 40-50% being bought for, for girls as well. So, so the answer is continue along the very classical line. In looking forward, how much do you look back at previous things that you products that you might bring back, or things like in the classic legends, like Space Legend or Technic Legend, Legend things like that? Well, I think actually we look we look a lot uh, to the past, and uh, when I discuss this with Kelly, he often says that we're trying to do what 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 he was trying to do 10, 15 years ago, but somehow we didn't succeed with the execution of it. We're looking a lot to the past. I, I think you could call, uh, you know, you could call our, our present and future strategy almost a mix of tradition and renewal. Uh, and this is what I mean about you cannot run away from your destiny. So we're looking a lot at the old products, uh, and I think there is a great interest in, if you like, retro-style uh, products. But we are testing it quite significantly, and we can also tell that there's a big need with new users. So not this group, but those who enter the world of Lego for the first time, that a lot of it has a more fresh look, you know, so the, some of this without starts and so on. Um, and this, this, is, this is one of the key challenges. We know with, with especially North American kids, when they play and watch TV, they actually watch a lot of reality TV. There's a big demand on us to look more realistic. And I've heard today from the train club how they appreciate some of the more recent models because they look like real models. And that's, that's a challenge for us to manage because we also want to maintain that classic look where you say, this is iconically Lego in primary colors. On the other hand, we do want to add on to it with special elements so it does become more realistic. So it'll be, a, it'll be a balancing act for us, but we've certainly gone back to the archives and looked at a lot of the old models. And one of the best examples of that is the relaunch of Lego Technique. And you saw the big truck up here being uh, given away a moment ago. Unfortunately, the flip wasn't open, but it's, you can do that for us now. <laughs> but it's, it's a beautiful box. And, uh, I, I think as a company, we had, and it's a good example, as a company, we had almost lost faith in that line, Lego Technique. And uh, now since we've reintroduced it in Germany, it's growing through triple percentage growth rates in Germany. It's, it's simply flying off the shelf. So that's a wonderful, <laughs> a wonderful example of going back and, and getting some inspiration from the past. Hi, I'm Rich Nowitz. I'm actually from here. I'm actually asking a question from Eric, I'm sorry, Gary Iztok, who's a longtime Lego collector and historian. Uh, I don't know if you have seen this question posted on LugNet. I'll read it for those who haven't heard it. Uh, Dear Sirs, in 2005, the Lego Group is celebrating 50 years of the Lego system of play. 
going back to 1995 with the introduction of the town plan. But have you seen what has transpired in the 50 years? I think you have. Uh, 50 years ago, all Lego components were interchangeable, and I don't mean you could attach a brick to element A and element B. What I mean is that we had nine different window types that were compatible, so you could, so this would, so they could be interchangeable, I'm sorry, compatible could build over 100 neat windows in all sizes in red or white. There were 13 different slope bricks, which even though they only came in red or blue, you could literally build a million different sloped roofs. There are other parts that all matched. Today we have a Spider-Man bank set with windows that match with no other windows. There are, there are steep and low slope bricks, but no valley bricks to make the multi-angled roofs. There are bricks in 35 or more different colors, but not all sizes. There are pieces in old retired colors that are not made yet in the colors that replace them. So, in essence, the system of play has over 10,000 elements, but most elements are not part of a system. This has caused a lot of building problems for adult fans of Legos that just should not be a problem for the toy of the century, quote unquote. My question to you, sir, is this. Can anything be done to help mend the system of play for adult fans of Legos? Because it is sad that most adult fans of Legos can't even build a model of their own house out of Lego. Respectfully, Gary is talking. I thought that was a wonderful question. And I would agree to that. Um, a little bit of prehistory on system and elements. Uh, two, two, three years ago, we counted the number of systems that were active in Lego, and that means not the number of elements we could actually produce, but the number of elements that we were actively trading. And we were approaching 15,000 different Lego elements, including the color variations. And being a, being, you know, a, a business person and economist by training, my primary concern was investment in all those colors and shapes. It was manufacturing because obviously that was going to be very expensive. It was logistical replenishment because if you miss one of those 15,000 elements, it might be a dog or whatever in a Harry Potter set. And if you don't have that, November 15, you're not going to be able to produce it and replenish it and ship it and pack it and have it in the stores for Christmas. So it's also logistically a nightmare. And it was only, I have to admit, it was only later that it really dawned on me also how that destroyed the experience of working and playing with Lego, because I think it has. Um, our strategy is now to bring that down to 7,000, so bring it down by 50%. Uh, and that's, that is happening now, and I think, uh, I don't know if you remember the number, Tomo, but I think we're at 8,000 right now. Yeah. So we're approaching that number very quickly. And we believe that's going to improve the building experience, it's going to improve the platforms. Give, to give you one example, tires, you probably all heard the stories of how we're the world's biggest producer of tires. <laughs> uh, it's one of the things that gets me slightly concerned. Um, we are now developing molds whereby we will mold a fairly large number of tires and wheels, but they're all going to be interchangeable and molded. So we get the manufacturing economies, we get the stock and inventory economies, and they're all compatible in a system. So it ties together in one platform. Because I think the key word here is having a system platform. And 
I will not promise you that all elements will fit together because we do also like these elements without studs, even though sometimes we go a bit too far. But I will promise you more system in Lego products than what you've seen over the last two, three years. That's for sure. My name is Michael Ty. I uh, have been working with the First Lego League for three years, and our uh, first year, our team encountered a new bug in the Mindstorm software. The software has not been supported for years and is still sold as new. What is, uh, is there any plan to, to continue support, updating the software, and what is the future of Mindstorms? So, do you want to take that? I'm sorry about the fault you found. Uh, that's a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but but besides that, you can say, uh, was it one or two years ago? Uh, there was some misunderstanding in the market, probably because of some uh, press releases we had that oh no, now uh, Lego is going to stop the Mindstorms uh, brands and Mindstorms products. That's definitely not the case. It has been on the market since '98, and we've seen since then quite a lot happening, both in retail, in education areas, and definitely also in, uh, in programs like First Day Relief. I personally spent three years with the program, <coughs> so I've seen I don't know how many kids around the world having fantastic uh, experiences with the products. We are going to continue to support the Mindstorms brand, and we are, of course, as we are with all brands and all products, looking into what does it take to continue to support it, do we need to make some new stuff? Do we need to continue what we have? Uh, so definitely it's still on our mind. Um, I cannot give you any details of what we're talking about, but uh, we're definitely looking into it. They hinted at a possibility of getting, uh, doing beta testing on new Mindstorm. This was last year. Uh, any possibility of getting involved with that? Sorry, with? Beta testing uh, products before well, I cannot really comment on that. Uh, <laughs> what, what, I, what I can say is that we are, of course, looking at uh, just repeating myself, but I, I can assure you if we come up with anything new, we'll in, in very good time tell everyone about what's going on. Uh, myself and my team have been good at pushing the envelope on the Mindstorm software, so I'd be more than willing to help uh, try to find any. <laughs> Thank you. We always need uh, clever people to help us out. Hi, uh, my name is Nathan Bell, and uh, I'm on LoveNet a lot. And my question was, um, when on LoveNet, when we are discussing Legos designs and whether we like them or whether we don't, um, do you take like we use the words better or worse, all that? Do you take that as an insult or constructive criticism? <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it this way. <laughs> I had a conversation with my wife the other Sunday. And she said, you know, I don't want you to be defensive about this. <laughs> but I have a few comments on how you interact with our oldest son. <laughs> and after that conversation, I was wondering, Chris, I'm 
really defensive. <laughs> so, you know, the attitude that we've taken in, in the leadership at Lego to our employees, first of all, is that we're completely open and vulnerable to attack. And I've discussed that a lot with my joint leaders in the Lego group, and some of them feel we've been too open, we've opened too many flanks. But my personal view is you need to insist on getting feedback. And if you don't shut up, and if you don't show it all the time, it will dry up immediately. So with the help of other good people in this room, I'm running a blog internally in Lego just to get feedback. People can write to me anonymously, or they can write to me, of course, sharing their name and identity. And to me, that's incredibly helpful. The challenge, of course, is always to balance one piece of feedback versus what does the rest of the organization think. I've also experienced it with our customers, because you know, the funny thing is with customers, and this goes for the media as well, you know, if you speak to a journalist or to a customer, they'll call you up and they'll shout and scream, you know, and why are you so poor, and your service, and your financial performance, and then you're done. And you sit down, you have a cup of coffee, or you walk the customer or the journalist to the door, and they say, oh, by the way, this summer I was in Legoland, or my son is so much into this line, and they can't hide it, they love Lego. Yeah. <laughs> and what I've learned through that is I have enormous potential from, and I, what I normally try to do is I take off my glasses, then I can see the customer on the countless and I say, now we send out, you know, the junior sales staff or whatever, you know, now it's just the two of us, now you really tell me what you think, and it's only then they really tell me what they think, it's only then because they have so much I don't know what the word is, affection for Lego, that they don't feel they can really criticize us. But when you then really show, now we're talking face to face, give it to me, and then they give it to you. And we've learned a lot through that process, and I think we've improved our customer relationships tremendously over the last 12 to 18 months, because we told them we would listen to them. So we really emphasize that a lot, and I hope you feel that in the dialogue with my colleagues, also through the LogNet. We really want to get that criticism, and I think it's better to be blunt than not to say anything. Uh, so that that is our, our starting point, that you should definitely tell us it as it is. We appreciate that a lot. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Brian Bothlum. I'm uh, someone that's been an adult fan of Lego for my whole life. And uh, the reason I've been an adult fan of Lego is not just because of types of systems, but because of the quality of Lego. You said something up here that caused me concern. You're going to start outsourcing to other people. How are you going to make sure your quality stays the same? I think that the, what we are learning is that the, the way we are going to survive competitively is actually not through uh, quality or service levels and so on, because everyone can actually match that if they want to. The way we are going to survive is that we are going to be strictly intent on maintaining that and consistently holding on to it. And we'll find suppliers who can help us do that, but it is a concern especially for the molding. It's not that easy. You know, we have a consultant moving into our factories and they're walking around like this. Like, wow, you know, this is in fact possibly the world's biggest molding facility. And, and you know, one of them I was sharing with Kel when we went here is that one of them came, this is a guy who worked on supply chain issues for 38 years as a consultant, North American guy. And he said to me, normally I always tell my clients you cannot, you know, there's nothing you can't outsource. You know, it's bullish. But he said, you know, to be honest, it's a bit challenging. 
And uh, but there are other aspects of it that's that's a lot easier. But I, I'll tell you, we'll not make any sacrifices on the quality. So the moment we'll do it, we'll know that it's because it's controlled and managed, and we can do it. That's for sure. My name is Philip Lafleur, and uh, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for coming here and sharing. <laughs> As a 50-year-old man who plays with a child's toy, <laughs> it just blesses me. I mean, it's overwhelming to think that the CEO and you know executives would come all the way from Denmark just to share with us and to show us how much they care about what we think. And I have not a question but a suggestion, and I think this really uh, is something that's dear to everyone's heart. You've got to get these colors. <laughs> this is a brand new, this is eight gold bricks from a brand new tub, 50th anniversary tub. Four of them are gold and four of them are something else. Look at them. Yeah. Well, this is why I'm happy you're here, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well.
What do you have uh, planned for Star Wars in the, in the years to come? <laughs> we had a great session with the space team this morning, I'll tell you. Um, no, but we'll extend that. We'll find ways of doing that. I mean, uh, we believe uh, Lego Star Wars has become a, a, an identity in itself. I think a lot of us are huge Star Wars fans as well. Uh, we also believe whenever we're together with the Lucas people that they believe this is definitely the license they feel the strongest about. Uh, George Lucas and his family was visiting Pilon and Legoland last summer, and I don't know how they got all those bags back into the plane, but there were a lot of them. <laughs> We feel, uh, we feel strongly aligned uh, with the Star Wars family, if you like, and, and uh, the direction they're taking. We'll, we'll find ways of continuing our collaboration with them. Hi, I'm Dan Housefield. Um, one question, are you going to ever do anything with the radius of the train? Because we're real, real limited to what we can do as far as lengthwise on our trains without having to put a curve and a straight and a curve to make a larger radius. So that's really a challenge that some of us like to build the, the bigger engines. Good luck. He's up front. Up front. Sorry. I didn't know who I was going to. Yeah. <coughs> We know about the, the radius issues and, and all you know the, the wishes from the of this community of the of the whole rail system, and uh, it's not something that we can do something with uh, very short term. It's something that we are looking into. I can tell you, um, I cannot promise anything, uh, but there will come some initiatives over the next year that you will see, Jake will share a little bit this afternoon, and uh, that will, could be the beginning of a uh, further development of uh, the kind of the hobby train. Uh, there's no promises so far.
I just uh, wanted to, my name's Lester Weir. I wanted to uh, make a, give you a marketing point. My daughter, first of all, she really liked the Belleville. But I got the building, the, the white building with the red roof, I forgot the name of it. And she really, really liked that one better than a lot of the other stuff because it was a complete building. and had walls and a roof and everything. So she seemed to have a definite preference for sets and things that are built that are more a complete building than kind of the storefront type stuff. I think it, it, it's almost like a dollhouse, isn't it? And uh, and I think it's very clear the girls just love that because it's a complete. They also want the realism rather than just the adventure or the more abstract type of building. They're also looking to build towns and lives and so on. We have the same experience. Um, just thanks for all that you guys do. But uh, I want to also notice that I'm as a fan of town. And now World City, uh, one of the things that I really like, obviously the combination of trains and everything else, is the fact that the service packs and going through the catalog, I remember as a child growing up and pretty much have been a fan my whole life, noticing now the catalogs are actually the same way they were as I was as a child. I go through, I'm seeing more service packs, other things, I just want to thank you guys for doing that. The other thing I have is as groups, what can we do to help promote your product? One of the things that we found when we did a small event is we had Within four hours, Texas, we did an event last year. With four hours, we had 1,200 people walk through. And there was only like six or seven of us in our group. We did a very small display. And right after the event, it'd be really cool if we could figure out a way how your company could make a profit off of the events we do. And I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it'd be great to have Lego there so we can help you guys out. I think it's, it's potentially something we need to look into, but you're triggering me on something else, which is the ability to, of course, utilize Lego secondhand, which all of you are very much aware of. And, and I, I honestly think it's something we need to look into because it's a way for us to continue to thrive as a company also. Uh, I had a very interesting session with the CEO of Unilever, and you know, walking into Unilever, you're, you're very humble because this is a 400,000 people organization with 70 billion, well, it must be something like 80 billion US dollar of turnover. And the guy says, you know, oh, by the way, you're, no, no, you're not a small company, you're the same size as us because you need to stack up Lego sales through 70 or at least 50 years to come to the real size and significance of the Lego company. I said, I don't get what you're talking about. And he said, well, I have my Lego bricks in the attic and put them through my washing machine and now I give them to, to my to my grandchildren and they still work perfectly well. And I think, you know, that is an important insight. This is a product that does not perish, it does not go away and it stays for generation. That means of course the combined platform available out there is much bigger than what we turn out every year, even though it's twenty billion elements. So um, I think we want to have an ability and we don't have to run that. But we want to have the ability of a community that can share the bricks and so on because it also allows more variety being on the marketplace than what we are actually physically producing through the molding machines every year. So I think we would like to see that kind of thing grow and we don't need to own it, we don't need to operate it, but of course we'd like to support it and find ways of doing that. And I think today with the internet and what we're trying to do with the Lego factory and so on, that would be a lot easier than it's ever been before. I'm not sure, maybe five years, but it seems like the products are um, 
becoming available for shorter and shorter periods of time. Like if you don't buy the product within a year now, it, it becomes not available. And it seems like that's um, different than it used to be in the past. Like you would have two or three years before it would stop being um, sold. And maybe, maybe you could do better if you kept the products around longer. Like the Orient Expedition products were here and then they were gone, right? And is that, is that a deliberate marketing strategy and does it help you or does it hurt you? No, no, to be uh, very honest, it actually hurts us in many ways. And, and the reason is, of course, you have to design a new set, the look, the feel, the story, and so on, and you do the campaigns, and you can only utilize it for one season. Um, I guess we feel we face a certain demand from the retailers for novelty all the time. Uh, but what we're trying to have a dialogue with them about, that this is actually not to their advantage either, because they have to change the system number. You know, the inventory will quickly become obsolete because it's now last year's rather than something that continues. So I think they're tuning into that and the way we think about it, and this is also why we think about CD being highly relevant five, ten years out still, is that as we start building something that's more solid, there's almost be more peace and calm, if you like, in the side of legal products when you go into a store. Because here's CD, some of it will be last year's, some of it will be new, but the transitioning will be slower. That's economically quite beneficial to us, but I think it's also what consumers will be looking for and will certainly also benefit the retailer. Um, but there will be lines where there will be a lot of change and there will be things like you know, Bionicle where it is the novelty factor that's driving a lot of it. At least we discussed that uh, with the community group this morning and I think there is also some interest and some longevity there but it is really very much also novelty driven. So it will vary by line but this is why we're thinking about some lines that can stay with us for a long time and slow down the pace of renewal. Currently we are renewing some 70% of the portfolio every year, and economically, that's hardly sustainable. It's, it's, it's really very expensive, so, so it's not something we want. Yeah. It's frustrating for the consumers. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we hear. We hear people saying, I just could not afford buying the entire mm -hmm. line during one year, so why isn't it there the following year available for us? Yeah. Hi, I'm Jean Camp from Camp Toy Train. We feature at Lego Trains in Towns. So we're downstairs in the bazaar. And I have a present for you if you could wander down there later on. I'd also like to talk to your marketing people and distribution people at some point. But my question at this point is, have you thought about going public? No. that you are really 
so enthusiastic and so dedicated and have such a deep, deep uh, belief in the Lego brand and the Lego products. So I want to thank you very much. I'm grateful to have such so many fans, <laughs> so many enthusiasts. Thank you. While I'm up here now, Jan, maybe uh, one one of the things that Jan has talked a lot about is that we have to be much more uh, flexible in in serving our consumers and being close to our consumers. This is something we have talked about for years, but never really done very effectively. And I think the focus now on our brick, on our systems, and our communities is really what is going to take our company forward. And that means also that we have to be much more flexible in serving our consumers and, and we are making attempts to that. It comes back to the question of can we not make more of the old uh, sets and can we not make more of specific bricks when uh, when you guys need them. And I think this is a, some one of the demands. We have to straighten out now our company and our supply chain and so on, but it's definitely a challenge that Jörn and his team will work on uh, how can we become much better at supplying specific or custom-made products to individual uh, consumers and where you certainly have have put that challenge on us also, I think, uh, in, a, in a very positive way. We know that there is a lot of demand for specific sets, specific items, specific bricks that were, were produced years ago. This is something we simply have to, to uh, be able to, to deal with much more effectively as we want to be the company uh, that, that is so close to the consumers. Jan, is that right? <laughs> as they say, uh, I think quite often in uh, at least the most recent Star Wars episodes, whenever there's an apprentice, there's always a master. <laughs> Vikings have no horns in their helmets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
there really weren't any dragons in the times of writing. <laughs> and so on we went. So I think we may also have a little bit messed up the uh, Nordic mythology and so on. So <laughs> I think sometimes uh, Kell and our, our other part of the board uh, refer to this Viking or whatever line it is. Uh, but I think it's going to be a great line, and we hope to continue that uh, just based on the early reads. So when, frankly, when we presented it to the retailers in February, we expected a fairly skeptic uh, reception, and it was an also back then an overwhelming uh, positive reception, which meant we immediately started plans uh, for extending it next year. But uh, you see that here in, in the U.S., I think, Mike, it's correct, it's an exclusive distribution with Toys R Us, uh, and it's the same in the U.K., where it's an exclusive distribution with Woolworth, and that reflects on, on some of the skepticism it was met with, but that's the story, I think, so far. I just, sorry, um, I just wanted to know, it's a real thought question, would you or any of the other LEGO people here like to comment on whether you have a favorite theme and what it is? No. <laughs> <laughs> Any bodyguards? <laughs> Any volunteers? <laughs> Mike, what do you say? Uh, I don't know. I, I would have to say that uh, Star Wars right now is uh, probably for me uh, is the best line in it. It does such a great job of not only capturing the spirit of Star Wars, but more importantly, the spirit of Lego. And uh, I think a lot of what we've been able to do with Star Wars kind of create an experience beyond the product. I think those of you who have seen the Brick movie and the video game, um, it kind of takes the, the basic Lego experience and brings it to, to a whole new level. And uh, I would say in that regard, for me as a marketer, uh, it's been definitely real fun because of the feedback that we've received from, from a lot of you folks that it, it just takes these the product experience to a new level. But that said, they're all my favorites, but if you have to... <laughs> 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 I try. <laughs>
what can we do about getting more trains into basically Wally World, Walmarts, and Targets, and what have you? Because pretty much the public doesn't know you have trains other than the high-speed train. There's no track pretty much available. Oh, I mean, for, for me, the, the way we can do that is, is the internet. We just don't see these retailers wanting to carry that. Uh, obviously, the more we can document things, I mean, I think we should take the, the wonderful photos of this uh, national train convention. What was the exact name of it in Cincinnati a month ago? I think we should do that. We should take that to the retailers and show it to them. I think we're also, uh, Mike, frankly, getting an opening with, with players like Target and Walmart now, where I think a year ago they were frankly a little bit pissed off with us. They didn't feel good about the delivery service. They didn't feel good about their margins on legal. They didn't feel we listened. They did not feel we were responsive. I think today they've come back and, and said, you know, the service is great. The margins are strongly improving. You're doing a very good job. I mean, Mike and his colleagues in North America are doing an amazing job with our key customers. And that has allowed us to go back to a retailer with, like Walmart, who's so insistent on low prices and low price points, to actually tell them how they are losing their shirt in key markets where all the legal enthusiasts are living, simply because they don't want to offer the higher price points. And they've accepted that and taken that on, and that's gone all the way to the top of the Walmart organization, the way we approach it. And I think Walmart, along with Target and all these stores, will be looking for ways to micro-segment their market so if we can tell them demand is going to be in these specific stores because of the legal people, the legal enthusiasts living in that area, we're going to see them maybe wanting to take more on. And that's going to be very exciting, I think, for all of us. So that and the internet is the answer we're pursuing to, to achieve that. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Shiloh Parker. I'm probably the youngest fan of legal in this room, but um, <laughs> adult fan. But uh, I happen to be a Bionicle fan, and recently there's been a discovery of a company called Blocko in Asia. I don't know if that's their main home headquarters, but they recently distributed a set called a something called. A, they look exactly like Bionicle, except their pieces are slightly different, but they resemble each other. You know, if you have here, I'll show you. But um, what is your situation on them, if you're aware of that fair company at the moment? I think all I can say is that we find companies like that uh, quite frequently. It's taken them a time to, some time to get to uh, doing things like Bionicle, because they were more into System or Duplo and so on. But now they're getting to Bionicle. We've also seen uh, mega blocks trying to launch some products that had similar features. And uh, we always take a two-pronged approach to that. Of course, if, if somebody is violating something we have protected or patented or feel that it can be mistaken for our quality, and if you go to our consumer service centers, they'll tell you about the complaints they're getting about some of these companies because we believe it is legal. Uh, but that's the secondary strategy for us. The primary strategy is we'll beat them in the marketplace. And that's the way we, we will generally approach this, that we just make sure that quality retailers will not sell that type of product, and, and we make sure our quality and offering is better. Hello. Um, I have, uh, during every show that I do with the club, uh, we have over and over the same question, where can we find those products? and uh, especially trains. Most people don't even know that trains exist. And except internet, we cannot refer them anywhere else. So um, 
is it would be possible for shop at home or or the Lego company to allow specialty store to to carry that if they wish to, because that would be uh, and, and most people I talk to I know I live in the woods somewhere, but <laughs> they are they are afraid of going to internet. Some of them still, uh, and that is a very great concern of mine because they don't even give they want to give them the credit card away the number. The credit card number away, and can we, as particular, can open an account with the Lego company to carry uh, some some of those products? Would that be possible, like in Europe, like special specialty stores? I, I think we have a job here. Thomas and I will take this back. We need to to look into this one. As I said to the train uh, club uh, people this morning. One thing that I noticed when I came to the Carlsberg Park the first time to see Miniland, there was, there was hardly any trains in Miniland in Carlsberg. Whereas those of you who've seen the Legoland parks in Europe will know it's stocked with trains. And I think we, we may in the company have made, made the mistake, I don't know, of, of thinking that trains are simply not that interesting in North America, given you know, they're l less prevalent in, in, in uh, at least we Europeans think that all you do is drive cars. <laughs> uh, awfully big engines, which we really feel bad about. Uh, so I think we, we have, I don't know how far we are on the learning curve on that. I'll speak to Jake and Tomon about it, but I think there's something we need to pick up. I realize your question is concerning Europe, and, and we'll need to see how we can do that. I think in Europe, uh, there's a lot of people who are highly concerned about using the internet, so, and our shop at home uh, activities do not extend far enough. So, we'll thank you for that input, and we'll, we'll look into that. Has the technique construction line been successful, and will you continue and or expand that? Yes, to all of it. It's been incredibly successful for us to reintroduce, and uh, we'll continue to expand on it. And yeah, we have great hopes for the technique line. Absolutely. So I've heard uh, Steve Relly. Uh, I've heard you um, use uh, analogies to say some of the technology companies and. Um, several years back, there was a company, a technology company that, that manufactured uh, microprocessors, and there was another company that uh, they competed with a little bit, and they came up with a strategy, the uh, Intel Inside program, uh, to sort of, because, in fact, they were having the same problem you were having. The microprocessor became a generic thing, and uh, the other company was using the same numbering systems, and it was very confusing, and everybody knew, thought that they were buying a computer, or realistically they were buying from two different companies and back then there were some incompatibility problems. Sounds very similar to uh, your clone companies. Is there any thoughts about using some sort of a program like a genuine Lego program or something along those lines? Because I know many of us have shared stories about we would be in stores and we're like your biggest reps while we're there because as people are shopping we're always talking. But they will, they will quite commonly refer to, as you well know, all the things in this aisle as being Lego. And is there a way that, I know you put a square red box with a LEGO in the middle of it, but <laughs> maybe there needs to be more or something. Are you thinking along those lines? We're very much thinking along those lines. And uh, in fact, uh, just here in the US, we recently conducted a consumer survey which told us that 42% of, of uh, our users thought that Maiga Blocks is a sub-brand of Lego. And that number really stunned us. It stunned us. So last year for Christmas, uh, Mike and his team here in North America ran a campaign called Better Building, More Fun. Uh, we don't want to run a campaign where we directly compare ourselves to any of these guys. We don't think we should be doing that. 
but we will make an even stronger effort also in Europe to tell people this is the genuine uh, legal quality. I think it's one of the mistakes we've made in our survival struggle that we've been too intent on, in some cases, matching these guys too much just to be sure to be able to compete rather than having the self-confidence and saying, now this is a very different ball game. There's much more variety, much higher quality and so on. And therefore, this is what you should pick. Uh, this is the truly the legal. So we'll find ways of doing that and are working on it actively.